You may have noticed some extra things on the communion table today. Um, so, I did some baking this week, oh this weekend, God. and this was my first creation. <laughs> I created this, uh, not, uh, was it yesterday or the day before? Yesterday. I, I baked this yesterday. It, it, it is uh, supposed to be bread. <laughs> it's pretty tough. Um, yeah. Anyone want to play catch? Uh, it, it was a bit of a failed experiment, but an experiment nonetheless. It's a little squishy. I don't know if I need now that my hands have been all over. I'm sure you all want to taste. Um, so this is this is the one loaf of bread. This is what I'm proud of, though, because this I I got up early this morning to bake to show you. And this is my treasure. <laughs> Look at that beautiful loaf of bread. Now, thank you, thank you very much. It's nowhere near our lack quality, but if you'll notice this bread, it's, it's nice and soft. It's got a crust on the outside, and it's nice and chewy on the inside, and it's quite, quite a contrast to this brick, right? See the two? This is going to make sense in a minute. This is the visual that I don't want you to forget from this morning's service. This versus this. The only thing I did different between these two recipes was this. That's it. And yes, and that's exactly how much. Can you see there's a bit of yeast in there? Not much, just a little bit. That is the only difference between those two loaves of bread. All the other ingredients are the same. Flour, water, and salt. They were cooked the same way, same time, same pot, same everything. But when you forget this, it goes, instead of getting this, you get a Frisbee. Um, which would pat, never mind, I'm not going to go there. I can make more jokes after the service. That is the difference. And that is the difference that the kingdom of God makes in this world. We are looking at two parables this morning, but don't worry, they're short. They are some of the shortest little parables in Scripture, and they're called twin parables because they make the same point in a slightly different way. So let's hear them together. Here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like a little yeast that a woman used in making bread, or your pastor in this case. <laughs> Even though she only put a little yeast in three measures, three cups of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. The kingdom of God is like a little tiny mustard seed that grows into a great big garden plant that trees can nest in. The kingdom of God is like a little bit of yeast that gets mixed into dough and makes a loaf of bread. <clears throat> Here's the point. I'm not going to beat around the bush this morning. God uses the insignificant for his glory. 
God uses insignificant things to uh, create wonderful things, to grow, to establish the kingdom of God. One of the things I really enjoy in life are campfires in the morning when you're camping. And when I was on my last trip, we, had a, we, we camped on the Spanish River. We got a bunch of wood the night before, and we burned and burned and burned. Because when it gets dark at 6.30, what do you do? So we campfired from 6.30 until about 11 o'clock at night. We had all the... We even got... By the time the campfire gets rolling, you get wet wood, right? Throw it on, because it'll burn eventually. We just burned everything. Kept it going and going. And then when it was time to, to finally call it a night, we just kind of piled everything in the center, and it was safe, and we went to bed. I woke up in the morning, I went out, and there was a flat bed of ash. That was it. Didn't look like anything. I thought, this is great. I burned it all down to nothing. <gasps> and then I put my hand right down on the ash, and I felt just a little bit of warmth on it. And then that, for me, that's a challenge. I'm like, I can do this. So I found a little curl of birch bark that had fallen off, and I shredded it really fine and tucked it into the ash, and then found some little bits of sticks and twigs that were left over from feeding the fire in the dark and piled it on. And, some, and then it started to smolder after a bit and you smell the birch resin as it, gets, as it warms up and the black smoke and then it smells so good. I love it. By the way, fun fact, apparently the etymology of my last name is birch tree. So there you go. I have a reason to love this stuff. Anyways, so uh, it gets going and going and then you lean down and you have this little tiny thing and you you just blow on it very carefully and then you see where the little bit of red glow starts and then you keep going and keep going and then all of a sudden poof and you have a fire and you feed it and it gets bigger and bigger. It only takes just a little bit of tiny insignificant heat to get the fire started again. This is how God works. He takes things that are apparently insignificant and he uses them to make a dramatic difference in the world. He's done it all the way through Scripture. <laughs> if you think about the, the people in Scripture, he used Abraham as the father of the people of Israel. Who was Abraham? He was a nobody whose dad made idols. And he chose them for no reason. But he used him. Um, think about Moses. Moses was supposed to be killed when he was an infant, but they threw him in a basket and sent him down the river and he got saved and rescued. Then he murdered someone, got exiled from his place, and God said, yeah, you're the perfect person for this job. I'm going to use you. David, when Samuel comes to him, he is the youngest of all the brothers and he doesn't even get to show up before the prophet. But God says, no, nah, he's the one I'm going to use. Or Samuel himself, the one who anointed him. His mother, Hannah, couldn't conceive a child. She prayed and prayed, and then the miraculous happened, and Samuel was born. Think about the life of Jesus, the first century. Or think of it from this perspective. If an alien culture, because I know you all love science fiction, if an alien culture was to descend in the first century AD and land somewhere on Earth to introduce itself, where would it land? Well, Rome is probably the spot. Rome would be the busiest center of the earth. Um, at that point in history, that's where it was all going down. Where was Jesus born? Well, not Rome. He was born in Israel, which was a, a, a province way off to the side that Rome was caring for. And he wasn't even born down by Jerusalem in the heart of Rome. He was born up in Nazareth, right up by the, in the border country, in the hicks, in the sticks. 
And nothing good comes from there is the, is the old joke, but that's where Jesus was born. He was, uh, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, so he grew up with persistent rumors of his uh, illegitimate parentage. Because the whole, um, I was conceived of the Holy Spirit doesn't usually fly in common conversation. It's only happened once. What's that? It sounds like Bancroft. That's my town. Can anything good come from Bancroft? Thanks, Rob. We were talking on Wednesday night. I, I actually, this is an aside, but we were talking on Wednesday night how we need, um, we need the ministry of heckling in our church. <laughs> just, just to keep the, the speakers humble. So, good job. Jesus was as insignificant in his birth and as his upbringing as you could expect. Um, like Moses was threatened with death, Jesus was threatened with death as an infant. His parents rescued him, took him down to Egypt for a while to escape it. Then he came back. He uh, lived 30-ish uneventful years, um, just growing and not taking a wife, which was another strange thing, until he finally launched his whirlwind of a three-year ministry. God uses the insignificant. If you were going to say, here's a great leader you should follow in the first century Palestine, you wouldn't say someone who was killed. Jesus was the Messiah and he was killed. He was crucified. He was executed by the Roman state for sedition. He was handed over by the, by the Jewish leaders for jealousy. He was executed by the Roman state for sedition. If you're looking for someone who is important, on the surface, it wouldn't have been him. Yet God used him to transform the world, to inaugurate the kingdom of God, which is spreading throughout the world like yeast in a lump of dough. It's incredible. God uses the apparently insignificant things, like a tiny little mustard seed, like a little bit of leaven, like Jesus. And yeah, even like me, and even like you. He uses us. Uh, Paul goes and talks about this a little bit, and this is a rather lengthy passage, but I, I want to read it to you because it makes the point so well. And I've chosen to read it from the message translate, translation on purpose because it will sound unfamiliar to your ears, and maybe we'll be able to hear it in a fresh way. You can look it up in your own translation later. It's 1 Corinthians 8, 1, 18 to 29. The message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those on the way to salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way, how, this is the way God works. And most powerfully, as it turns out, you know, it's written, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head and expose the so-called experts as crackpots. Where can you find someone who's truly wise, truly educated, Truly intelligent in this day and age. Hasn't God exposed it all as pretentious nonsense? Since the world in all its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God. God in his wisdom took delight in using what the world considered dumb. Preaching of all things. That was your chance, Heckler. Preaching of all things to bring those who trust him into the way of salvation. Listen, while Jews clamor for a miraculous demonstration and Greeks go in for philosophical wisdom, we just go on proclaiming Christ uh, crucified. Jews treat this like an anti-miracle. Greeks pass it off as absurd. 
But for those of us who are personally called by God himself, whether Jew or Greek, Christ is God's ultimate miracle and wisdom all wrapped up in one. See, human wisdom is so tiny, so impotent next to the seeming absurdity of God. Human strength can't begin to compete with God's weakness. One more little paragraph. This is the word of the Lord. This isn't me, so don't take it as an insult. But take a good look, friends, at you, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chose those nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. Kind of comes alive when you hear it paraphrased in a different way, right? I encourage you, uh, when you go home, if you're interested, read it in your translation of choice, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 29. But the point is the same. God uses what's apparently insignificant, what's apparently foolish, to do a dr dramatic things. And the second thing is this. There's two types of growth. There's two different parables. They were twinned up, but they both have a little bit of a different emphasis. The first is the mustard seed, right? A mustard seed is a very tiny, tiny, tiny seed, but when it's planted, it grows into a shrubbery that uh, birds of the air can land and take refuge in its branches. Uh, this is the, the way that the kingdom of God grows. It started with Jesus and 12 followers, one of whom didn't make the cut and a few peasants from the hillside who ran away when he was killed. That was Jesus's mustard seed, and it has flourished into something massive. This is how the kingdom of God grows. It grows externally. We see it growing throughout the world. As I've said before in this series, it's important to remember that when you look at the news in, West, in the Western world, in Canada, in the United States, you'll see more and more and more and more signs that Christianity is on the downswing, that less people are attending church, that more people are calling themselves spiritual but not religious, and people are drifting. That is the trend in North America, but that's not the trend worldwide. Christianity is exploding in the majority of the world more quickly than it's ever been. It's dramatically growing and rising because the kingdom of God is bigger than North America. And when you look at a mustard seed, you see the way it grows like that. But there's another type of growth. The yeast in a lump of dough symbolizes internal growth. Let me show you. That is what bread looks like with no yeast. It's pretty monolithic, right? Anyone want to taste? <laughs> Nothing. There's a few bubbles where I think it just got folded on itself when it got dropped in. Now, my treasure. Be 
really funny if it looked the same. I'm just, in faith, I'm hoping this works. That's what bread's supposed to look like, right? That's right. The outside, well, the outside didn't even look the same. It was the same color, that was about it. But inside this bread, oh, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> This bread looks... No, you teased us. You're not giving us any. <laughs> no. I'm going to go to the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the bread. <laughs> Two types of growth. There's the external growth that we all love. We all like to see things getting bigger and better. But then there's the internal growth that makes a difference from the inside. And both are important. And Jesus used both those parables to make that point. If all you have is outward growth without any leavening on the inside, you'll have a great big brick. But on the other hand, when we, when we seek first the kingdom of God, when we devote ourselves to this, we become the sort of people that God uses to see the kingdom of God grow and expand throughout the world. Just like, remember, was it last week I talked about the seed that grows underground and the farmer doesn't know what's happening and you don't pester it or you ruin it? Just like the seed grows underground and you can't see exactly how it's going, you can't see how the dough is working inside the loaf. It's covered in a shell, but it works. We can't always see that type of growth, but it's no less real and no less important. So one more implication of this, and then we're going to close the service together. We are called, where's my yeast go? We are called to be like this yeast. We are called to be the agent that leavens the world. We are called to, um, and it's not just the, the yeast that I'm drawing on here. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, right? Salt in the ancient world was something that stopped meat from going bad because they didn't have refrigerators. So it wasn't just something tasty that you put on your food and then feel bad that your blood pressure is going to be too high. In the ancient world, salt was critical for life. It stopped things from rotting. And us citizens, we citizens of the kingdom of God are called to be like the little yeast that's been worked into the lump of dough. We are called to be like the salt that is ground into the world to prevent its decay, and to raise it up. And so here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to close. It's going to be the strangest closing song ever. We're going to sing our national anthem together. In one reason is because this is Remembrance Day. It's something we want to remember. But here's the thing. I want you to think about the anthem differently. When we get to the part near the end where it says, God, keep our land, glorious and free. I don't want you to just think that we are thankful for people in the past, for military, we are thankful for all those. But you and I, as citizens of the kingdom of God, have a role to play within our Canadian culture too, to leaven it, to keep it. And so when we sing God keep our land, we know God does it, but I want you to reflect on the fact that that's your calling too, under God. To keep this land, not just in a military sense, but in a moral sense, in a loving sense, showing the love of God in this world. God keep our land 
glorious and free. And when you sing, O Canada, we stand on guard. I pray that we'll, our responsibility will hit us in a bit of a deeper way. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for calling us out of the world to send us right back into the world to be the leaven that, that, that makes things rise, to be the salt that prevents things from decay. I thank you so much for the country that we're living in right now. I'm so grateful for this, even this ability to come together and freely praise and worship you. And I pray, Lord, as we uh, are about to sing our national anthem, that when the part in the anthem addresses you in prayer, you would inspire our hearts with our mission, you would inspire our hearts with our calling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to stand for this. Amen. 